the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery, with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is the Bob France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. It is indeed, and a great morning to you. Seven minutes after the hour of nine o'clock as we get started. Thanks for being here on a free-for-all Friday, the third morning of the fourth month of the year of our Lord, 2020. Coming up on the program today, a couple of very important guests, one of which I'm going to ask for your assistance with in terms of my interview. Uh, coming up in about a half an hour, we're going to talk to former acting ICE director Tom Homan, who's got a new book out that is very important. Yes, the borders still matter. And in fact, maybe they matter now more than ever before because the peak of the COVID-19 Wuhan coronavirus in Mexico is forthcoming. More important than ever before to make sure people aren't crossing our southern border with the disease. We have enough cases of it already in the United States. So we're going to talk to former ICE director Tom Homan. His book is called Defend the Border and Save Lives. It has never been more prescient uh, and more important than right now. Rather, he is prescient, and it is now uh, as important as it has ever been. So that's coming up at 935. At 10.10, this is the interview I'm going to ask for your help with. Literally between now and then, I want you to tell us what questions you would ask if you could talk to somebody in HHS. We will talk to the Deputy Secretary of Health and Human Services in the Trump administration. Eric Hargan will join us to talk about Health and Human Services, how they're supporting the federal response to the COVID-19 virus. What do you want to know from HHS? What do you want to know from the Trump administration in general? So if you call or if you make a a Facebook uh, comment to me or send me a message there or on Twitter, I will ask uh, the relevant questions to Eric Hargan at 1010, representing the Department of Health and Human Services in the Trump administration. So this is a big-time deal. This is uh, an important person that we're going to be talking to. All right, so having said all of that, 
A couple of great guests, Tom Homan and Eric Hargan. I will invite you to be a guest, too. 216-901-0945, as always. 888-281-1110. Either one of those numbers will put you right here. You may also, again, use the aforementioned social media places. Uh, and uh, you can find me there at uh, France Radio, F-R-A-N-T-Z, France, F-R-A-N-T-Z, France Radio. Altogether, one word, no spaces, and no underscores. All right, um, so to the latest, this morning we found out what we expected, of course, after having a 10 million new uh, jobless claims over the course of the last two weeks. 3.3 million last Thursday. 6.6 million people announced uh, jobless yesterday, this this week. So that's uh, roughly 10 million people in two weeks. You knew what was coming today was coming. The job numbers came. Normally at this time, virtually every month, you know, the first Friday of every month when we get the new unemployment numbers, uh, I'm, I'm making a big deal of it. I'm playing cool in the gang celebration because we're talking about the tremendous success of the Trump economic policies. And look at all of the people who are working. Look at all of the people who are getting raises. Look at the wage increases. Look at the record low unemployment for blacks and for Hispanics and for uh, you know all of the other demographics. The 50-year low overall unemployment rate. All of that stuff. 275,000 jobs created. And, and, and we're celebrating at this time. Well, here it is, first Friday of the month, and uh, the numbers are out. And uh, we can't celebrate now. But what we can say is that we knew this was coming. Over 700,000 jobs lost rather than added in the month of March due to, of course, this month-long suffering that we are all doing under the strain of the uh, Wuhan coronavirus. The question becomes, how many months of that can this economy endure before there is no economy left, before there is no country left? Now, I'm not saying that we have all of the answers yet. But what I am saying is is that the answer cannot be this. The answer cannot be two or three or four months of this, of 700,000 jobs lost in a month, of 10 million new jobless claims filed or uh, yeah, filed uh, in, in a two-week period. This cannot continue. Through April, it cannot continue through May. It certainly cannot continue into the summer. And that is what we have to deal with right now. That is the economic reality that former Trump economic advisor Steve Moore brought to this program earlier this week. All right, and somehow, for some reason, uh, Steve Moore doesn't want to play right now. I want him to play. And great. I listened to it during the pre-show prep. But, uh, okay, I'll have this for you in a bit. But Steve Moore... The um, former Trump economic advisor was on this program just uh, uh, three days ago, and he pointed out exactly what we said. If we go past, and I'll just have to paraphrase him now since the uh, the uh, clip won't play. If we go much past April 30th, um, again, there will not be an economy, and it looks like I think I can play this now. We're going to give it one more shot here, so I don't have to paraphrase him. This is Steve Moore. The idea of going anywhere past April 30th, another month of shutdown, will be, in my opinion, catastrophic for our economy. You're talking about millions of business failures. You're talking about an unemployment rate of 20, 25%. You know, we were at 3.5% a month ago. You're talking about as many as 30, 40 million Americans unemployed. Uh, We've never seen anything like this before in our country. So we have to really start thinking about, you know, the risks 
uh, in the benefits of getting our economy reopened. We have to be extremely attentive to all the best medical information. But I'm here to tell you, I mean, if we go much past April 30th, uh, we're not going to have a much of an economy to reopen when this is done. So I'm obviously I'm starting to take very prudent measures to starting getting um, areas of the country reopened and industries that we are so dependent on reopened because the carnage that we're talking about will be so significant it will take, you know, two, three years to recover from. If we recover at all, and, you know, he's talking about whether or not we go just much past April 30th. In some corners of government, there is talk about this going through the entire summer, that the year, the calendar year 2020, is going to be impacted in this way uh, by the coronavirus. Which begs the question, what exactly is it that we are afraid of? Now, understand, this question is very, very sincere. This is not mocking. This is not any kind of a, you know, not taking seriously the threat. Of course, we take the threat extremely seriously. Uh, nearly 6,000 Americans have lost their lives since this thing began. Two complications from the coronavirus. We got 245,000 cases. Of course, it's serious. If we lost one life to a disease that was preventable, we would feel bad that we didn't prevent it. But this is what we have to ask ourselves. How serious is it in terms of its ongoing threat? The models that the doctors and the medical professionals and Vice President Pence's White House Coronavirus Response Task Force, the models that they're using are all that we have to go on. Because we don't have historical precedent to go on. Do you understand that? There has never been a virus that is presented quite like this one does. And according to the docs, they're finding, finding out new things about it all the time in terms of its spread. Remember, for the last four weeks, we have been told what? Don't bother wearing masks if you are not symptomatic. Right? They have said just keep six feet apart from other people so that if they cough or if they sneeze, you'll be away from the six-foot radius that would mean that you can ingest their germs. That's what we were told. The masks should be reserved, we were told, for medical professionals and for people who actually were symptomatic, people who had sneezing and coughing and respiratory issues. If you have something, the mask will stop you from spreading it to other people, we were told. For a month, we've been told this. But the mask would be useless for somebody who isn't symptomatic to try to stop them from just ingesting it. Just keep the six feet distance, we were told. Now, officials at all levels of government are about to recommend masking for everybody who goes out into public. Even though we're on stay-at-home orders, if you have to go to the places you're allowed, the essential visits to the grocery store, to the pharmacy, to you know the auto parts store, if it means you have to keep your car running, you know the few things that are allowed to stay open. If you're going to go out into public, now they're about to recommend that everybody wear a mask. Well, wait a minute. If not, if not a mask, some sort of a cloth covering. Well, come to find out, they're now saying... I listened to Dr. Fauci talk about this this morning. I've listened to Dr. Oz and other TV docs explaining all of this. Now they're saying you don't have to be sneezed upon or have somebody cough in your face. If you're just talking to somebody within the six-foot barrier, 
the the breath coming out of somebody's mouth is enough to go into your mouth or nose or whatever, and the virus will be transmitted to you. So now it's not just a fluid or mucus coming from somebody who is infected, you touching it or coming into contact with it, getting it into your mucous membranes by way of mouth, nose, or eyes. Now they're just saying talking to somebody who has it can give it to you unless you have some sort of a covering on your face. So we're going to mask up if we go to the grocery store. And a lot of people are already doing that. But the point is they told us not to, now they're telling us to. So they are just... This is extraordinarily important, friends, and I want you to understand what I'm saying right now. They're learning new things about it almost every day, which means that the models that they're running off of may or may not be worth the the time that it takes to read them. They're going on only on models, not on historical facts. They can't say we've had something like this before, and thus, here is how we treat it. Here is how we deal with it. This is literally brand new to them, and so they're kind of plugging the information into the computers the best they can, and the computer is spitting back, bingo, here's your, here's your peak, and here's the number of people you can expect to be dead. But are the models accurate considering they're finding out new things all the time and more importantly they're finding new ways to deal with it all the time do the models take into account the new widespread use of hydrochlor uh, uh, hydroxychloroquine and zpac do the models take in the fact that or take into into account the fact that more and more doctors are prescribing this as a matter of fact it's one of the lead stories today that in a survey physicians in 30 countries who who have been asked about this not just Americans but physicians in 30 countries who are dealing with coronavirus 37% of them say that my most effective treatment is hydro, hydroxychloroquine which just became approved for use by the uh, on, on the uh, uh, coronavirus by the FDA FDA this week, but thirty seven percent far and away the largest margin of any other drug. They're saying it's hydroxychloroquine. It's the game changer that Donald Trump talked about. It's the game changer that Donald Trump was mocked for talking about, if you recall. But the fact of the matter is, it is a game changer. And do the models reflect that? Because we're making decisions with people's lives, not just the people who have become infected with coronavirus, but with people who can't go to work, whose jobs, whose livelihoods, whose savings, whose future are all now extraordinarily upset. Their lives are literally in the balance. We have so much to talk about. I want you to be with us. 216 Right back after this. AM 1420. All right, is it, it is indeed a Friday, as the song reminds us. Thanks for being with us. 25 minutes after 9 o'clock. Tom Homan, the former... Uh, Director of ICE, Immigration and Customs Enforcement, will be joining us at uh, 935. I want to go back to what I was discussing because 701,000 people lost their jobs in the month of March, according to the unemployment uh, numbers that came out about an hour ago. 
And 10 million people filed jobless claims in the last two weeks. We are in an extraordinary time that could have us headed for not just a recession, but perhaps a depression because of the disease, but most importantly because of the response to the disease. Now, the response to the disease has been based upon models, because it's all the doctors have to go on because they've never seen a, 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 a virus present in this way, a pandemic virus present in this way. So they're using computer models. And the question is, is are those computer models accurate? Alex Berenson is a former uh, reporter for the New York Times. Mind you, the New York Times, okay? He was on with uh, Tucker Carlson, and he was discussing this very issue. I want you to listen as we break down some of the perhaps erroneous models that are being used to predict what's going to happen with the Chinese coronavirus. So so here, here's what I would say. I, I'm not an epidemiologist, okay? I'm not a scientist. And to some extent, right. I come at this from, from the same perspective that I came at when I wrote Tell Your Children, which, as, as you mentioned, we've talked about a couple of times, which is I'm a journalist. And what I, what I think I'm pretty good at is is seeing whether what people say lines up with what's really happening. And unfortunately, what yeah. we are seeing and what we have seen for the last couple of weeks is that the models that have predicted really apocalyptic things in places like New York City and nationally and in the UK don't seem to be matching what's going on in, in reality. And in some cases, these, these epidemiologic models are extremely new. They've gone extremely south in, in a matter of days. And so I think we really have to ask what's going on here and whether or not there are strategies that might be less damaging to the economy that that would do just as well, because we've we've taken huge steps. We've you know, we've put 10 million people out of work more, actually, because that's the official numbers. In just a couple of weeks, we've caused real societal harm and disruption. And we've done it on the basis of models that don't seem to line up with reality in real time. So let me let me ask you that, and this is a conversation we're going to continue on this show, and I, we're going to do something on it tomorrow, taking a look at what the predictions were and what the outcome has been, because it's important to keep track. But just give us a couple of examples of what you're talking about when you say the models haven't produced accurate results. Sure. So, so the, you know, the, the most recent one is the University of Washington model, which, at, which was created and released uh, only a week ago. And as of today predicted or predicted that as of today there would be about 50,000 people in New York state hospitalized with coronavirus and there are about 12 or 13,000 so so this is a model that the, the numbers in in a week have been off by a factor of 4 and that's also true for ICU beds the uh, I think the delta there is about 3 to 1 meanwhile there's a there's a state model actually in Oregon that's gotten very very little attention that was just revised on Monday to show that if Oregon did nothing, if it ended the lockdown, this is the state's own prediction, is that there would be 90 people in ICU beds at the beginning of May. This is a state with more than 4 million people. If the lockdown continued, there would be 30 people. So that's about two people a day different being in ICU versus not. And and the question is, are we going to lock the state of Oregon down, cause real societal disruption? In some cases, not in some cases, close schools, force kids, you know, to be home with parents who in some cases may be very stressed, may be abusive. They're going to be out of sight of teachers. I'm very, very worried about the uh, the domestic violence and the child abuse implications of what we're doing. I agree. I I agree in the alcohol. So the state of Ohio is under lockdown. Governor Mike DeWine. Dr. Amy Acton, everybody's hero. She's got Facebook pages dedicated to this angel uh, in, a, in the white robe. 
They're telling us that the models say we have to surrender our economy, surrender our jobs, surrender our savings, surrender our health care, surrender our uh, 401k, surrender our kids' college tuitions. We have to surrender all of this in an immediate economic lockdown in order to save lives. And who says, well, the models say. How are we to believe the models when so many of the models have already proven to have been wrong? That is something that nobody is asking and nobody is talking about. I'm going to ask, coming up at 10.10, about 40 minutes from now, I'm going to talk to the um, uh, Deputy Secretary of Health and Human Services in the Trump administration, Eric Hargan, and we're going to talk about the models and how they come up with the uh, with the numbers that they do and that they prescribe the uh, shutdown activities that they have and the reasons why. So that's coming up. All right, we'll get a quick time out now. It's for news at 9.30 on the flip side. Tom Holman, former acting ICE director, joins us live on AM 1420, The Answer. Get there. Continue on AM 1420, The Answer. We are awaiting the connection with uh, former ICE Director Tom Homan. And I'm very much looking forward to talking to him because we have border issues. We have had border issues. We know it's been the uh, hallmark of the Trump presidency, obviously, talking about securing our southern border. It's perhaps more important now than ever before. And Tom Homan has been at the forefront of the fight to secure the borders. and And he offers proof in his new book that illegal immigration is not a victimless crime there are victims all over this country that you don't even think about uh, because of illegal immigration. And now, of course, with the threat of people uh, spreading the pandemic, uh, the coronavirus all around the globe, uh, we have to be even more careful about who we let into the country and when and how uh, to make sure that everyone is indeed safe. We have American citizens we're not even letting back into the country until extraordinary measures are taken uh, from cruise ships. They're, they're keeping them out, out uh, you know, uh, to uh, uh, won't even let them dock. They're stuck in harbors, and they're stuck out there in the ocean because we will not allow them until we figure out the best way to make sure there will be no more spread of the of the pandemic and the virus that is on those ships. So it's not just about foreign people. It's about just making sure that uh, the country is as safe as we can make it. So we're going to talk to uh, Tom Holman coming up here in just a few minutes, hopefully when we make that connection. Uh, meantime, I want to go back to a little bit about what we were just discussing as we talked about the... Um, models that are being used to decide on public policy. The models in Washington, the models in Oregon, those are just two that were cited in the guest that we had on, uh, or I should say the Tucker Carlson had on that we played for you last segment, Alex Berenson, who's studying these things, and pointing out, just to go back to the Washington example, you know, or the Oregon example, um, in which he said that there were 90 patients in the ICU um, based on the lockdown models that they have, for example, in Oregon. And he said that the model, uh, the, um, uh, uh, what they predicted, if they did not have the lockdown, if they did not have the shelter in place, if they did not have the stay at home or whatever it is, um, they would only have, I'm sorry, I'm doing that in reverse. I apologize. They would have 30 if they used the lockdown. They would have 90 if they didn't use the lockdown. And so the question is, is that a reason to put millions of people at serious economic risk? 
Because, and, and here's the other part about this, friends, that people need to understand. While, again, we are taking very, very seriously the threat that this virus poses, that we know of, not just based on future models, but that we know of already. We know that roughly 6,000 Americans have died. We know that there are 245,000 cases, and many of those, or, or some of those, are in serious or critical condition. That's what we know. Forget about the models for a moment. But we have to talk about the impact, not just economically, but on the health and well-being of others who are not infected, but who are affected by the policy decisions being made by our governor and beyond. And what I mean by that is, I, I, I put this on Facebook last night. And, and I did it not to be flippant. I did it not to be you know, a, a, a rabble rouser or to cause trouble, but because I was very seriously concerned that Mayor Mike DeWine and others who are supporting his, um, uh, you know, his policies here with respect to the shutdown of the state... I wanted, I wanted to know, does Mike DeWine realize that in the Great Depression in 1929, 1930, 1931, did, does the governor know that 40,000 people committed suicide? 40,000 people. Now, does that mean 40,000 people are going to commit suicide during this particular uh, economic calamity that we're facing and that we have kind of brought upon ourselves to some extent? No, it doesn't necessarily mean that. But the bottom line is that when people reach the end of their rope of desperation, um, these kinds of things happen. There are numerous studies that show the cause and effect of the health of an economy and the number of suicides, the suicide rate being directly correlated to the health of an economy throughout American history. Numerous studies. And the reason for that is should be quite obvious. When people lose their jobs, when people lose their wages, when people lose their health care, when people lose their, their kids' college uh, tuitions, the savings accounts that they had put aside for them, when they lose their own retirement, when they lose uh, everything that they have worked and saved for for their entire lives because uh, everything goes just go, you know crashes, people become depressed. People can't see a way out, and and lives are affected if not outright taken by their own hand or other individuals through acts of desperation, taking lives. Hunger and desperation drive people to do very very desperate things. Desperation drives desperation, doesn't it? It drives desperate acts. And so the point here is this, that yes, there are lives at risk right now from the coronavirus, and that must be considered in all public policy, which it clearly is. But there are lives that are going to be at stake from people or for people who have not been infected by the coronavirus, but who rather will be affected by the coronavirus. Jobs, businesses closed down permanently, people's dreams dashed, people being asked to start from scratch again, maybe with a good loan from the government, maybe you can make it work, maybe you can't. There are going to be far more, I believe, people impacted in desperate, dire ways, perhaps even to the point of death, 
than I think we're going to see actually lose their lives in the coronavirus. I don't know whether I want to be right or wrong. Because if I'm right, then we have a lot of people dying in ways that you just never thought that is a horrific thing to think about. If I'm wrong, that means more coronavirus uh, patients die as well. I don't want either of those things to be the true to be the case, but I think we have to consider both of those things when public policy is established. We cannot just continue to run willy nilly into this saying, "If everybody stays home, we'll be fine." No, we won't be. And and there is there are countless examples in American history to prove that. All right, it's 943. I'm told we do have the former uh, acting ICE director, Tom Homan, on the line with us now. Mr. Homan, good to have you back on our program here in Cleveland, Ohio. How are you, Tom? I'm doing fine. Thanks for having me. Sorry for the confusion. No problem at all. I know you're a busy guy, and you've got a lot of people to talk to as you talk about the new book, Defend the Borders and Save Lives, uh, which just released a couple of days ago. First of all, congratulations on the book. And second of all, I know it wasn't timed like this, Tom, when you wrote the book to have it released at a time when our border security is perhaps more important now than it has ever been before because of the ongoing spread of this pandemic. We need to know who's coming into the country and what they're bringing with them, don't we? Absolutely, and that's why I salute this president when he uh, closed the border down and, and stopped the asylum seekers coming through, sent them back to Mexico. You know, those who want to enter illegally, they're, they're just going to turn around. We're not going to put them in detention. We're not going to put them in, our, let them loose in the country. You know, we we can't check them off for the virus. They may be non-symptomatic, so let's play safe. Let's shut the border down. Look, and, and before this pandemic even happened, I've been out there screaming and yelling. Disease comes across that border every day. I mean, measles, chicken pox. We had a TB case a couple of years ago that we, we couldn't even treat. We had them keep in detention for months while we tried to figure out how to treat this because the, the, the drugs that you normally treat it weren't working. It was a strain of TB we've never seen. And we worked with the CDC, the, the Texas Department of Public Safety, to pump some sort of cocktail within a few months to start treating that. But think for a moment, if he would have not been arrested by the Border Patrol and got by him, got into a city. So the border disease comes across that border all the time and and this latest pandemic is it just brought it to light you know that's not one of the things i heard a lot of people yelling and screaming about i should have been listening to you yell and scream about it and all of the things that we talk about you know the president laid it out on his the day he announced his his candidacy for president back in 2015 and he said you know there's murders and there's rapists and human traffickers and drug smugglers and uh, and uh, and gang members all coming across that border I don't recall too many people talking about disease, and not just in a pandemic sense, but the things that you're talking about, all the other things that are coming from third world countries, where quite frankly they don't take vaccination seriously, they don't take, uh, you know, they don't have the healthcare resources that we do, and they're bringing that stuff with them. Look, when we had these families back when I was ice talking, these families come across. We had some of our facilities had to be shut down because of chickenpox and measles, and look, some of these, you know, some of these things like measles, you know, uh, this, the United States pretty much eradicated it, you know, and we, we dealt very well with it. And all of a sudden you see resurgence in it. And, you know, I'm, you know, I don't have any evidence of it, but I certainly can think that, you know, illegal immigration had, had, a, had a role in that, making a resurgence in the U.S. So, look, it's, it's, the president's been right from day one on this issue. He's proven he's right. Uh, he, numbers on the border, before this pandemic, the, the illegal alien numbers on the border are down 75% because of this president. Congress hasn't helped him one iota. Courts haven't helped him. It's a one-man show. His his deals with Mexico, El Salvador, Guatemala, things he's doing on that border, 75% decline. No other president's done that. 
And, and, and when other presidents did have a decline in illegal immigration, it was because Congress helped them. We, we passed some laws. We, we closed the loopholes. Congress has done nothing but work against this president, defy this president, while he's trying to close the border. They're throwing out, you know, uh, promises of uh, enticements of, you know, uh, free college, free driver's license, free health care. We'll get rid of ICE. We'll stop ICE detention. We'll stop all immigration detention. We'll shut down for private uh, detention facilities. All these promises they make to bring more people, despite their efforts, this president has won again. And, you know, if, if they would have circled the wagons around him in the beginning, we could have solved this crisis. We are talking with former uh, ICE Director Tom Homan, who spent his entire life in law enforcement, a police officer, a Border Patrol agent, a uh, special agent investigating criminal organizations that smuggle uh, uh, aliens or traffic in females and chil- uh, children. 34 years you have been doing this. Uh, can you tell us what drove the book, Tom? Um, why now? Is it just a retrospective of what you have learned through 34 years? It, exactly. This, this, this okay. I, I talked to you know, a lot of radio shows, especially during the Hold the Feet to the Fire. Mm-hmm. Now, we can do an eight, ten-minute talk on the radio. I can do a four- or five-minute hit on Fox News uh, where I, I'm a commentator there. But you can't tell the story in eight, ten minutes. You can't do it. And even the time I testified on Hill, I try to get the story out. And the Democratic, you know, the Democrats just want to attack me, attack the member of ICE, not let me talk. Turn into an argument. So I say, no, the American people need to hear the truth because they're not hearing the truth. They're hearing this false narrative. They need to understand that illegal immigration is not a victimless crime. There's a lot of tragedy. The underbelly of illegal immigration is tragic. So in my book, I talk about things I've seen, investigations I've conducted. That would turn your stomach, and, and, and people, you know, even the people that don't like me, if they read the book, they would understand me. Why was why is someone so emotional about this issue? Why does someone lose his temper with Congress? Well, if you see what I've seen in thirty four years, which I described in this book, you'd be upset too, and you'd want to fix this too. And I also want to talk about how we can fix it. We can. The president's on a great. Uh, pathway to fix the uh, southwest border like it's never been fixed before. I talk about what Congress needs to do, what the, what loopholes are, what the president has done, what the president's going to do to fix the border. So I, I wrote a book that tried to educate the American people that, about what, what ICE really does. What does the Border Patrol really do? And what happens behind the scenes? It's just not an illegal alien comes to this country to get a job to support his family. Everybody thinks it's okay. A illegal immigration is a victimless crime. It is not a victimless crime. Once you understand the underbelly of this, 31% of women are being raped. Children are dying. Cartels are making billions of dollars a year. When you understand the dirty part of this, you're going to want to fix it, too. And that's why I wrote the book. I got sick and tired of being shut down. I got sick and tired of not being able to talk more than four or five minutes. So I put it in the book. I'll tell you what, I'd give you two hours to talk if you wanted it, <laughs> because I could, I could listen to you uh, go through this. I mean, because you do, you have so much to offer in so many different ways. And Tom, you know, you talk about, you know, it's not a victimless crime, and you're obviously right, as you talked about the various, you know, crimes committed by illegals, but also those who, those uh, illegal aliens across that border who really are just here to make a better life for their family, uh, for their family. I may sympathize with them, you may sympathize with them, but what people don't know is that when they come here with no skills, and maybe not even speaking the language they're going to take blue-collar labor jobs away from people who are also undereducated and perhaps less skilled in the united states and those people are now going to not going to be able to provide for their families and those people are almost all always predominantly minorities well absolutely and i talk about that in the book i talk about you know look I, people say tom home is anti-immigrant no i'm not I'm anti-illegal immigration. Look, I know this country was built with the help of immigrants, legal immigrants. And, and the bottom line is that, that 
You know, I, I, I can't blame anybody in the world that wants to come and be a part of the greatest country on earth. I can't blame them. But you can't want to be a part of the greatest country on earth and not respect our laws. You can't have it both ways because this country is a nation of laws. You want to be a part of it? Follow it. Stand in line like millions of others. We're the most giving country in the world. We welcome more immigrants and refugees in this country than any other country in the world. And you're right. Illegal immigration drive, drives down labor uh, labor costs. It drives down uh, uh, payroll. It, for once, rounds I struck, we shut. We did a workshop operation on a sausage factory up in, I think it was Detroit. And we arrested hundreds of illegal aliens. Well, guess who took those jobs? African-Americans, unemployed African-Americans in that city took those jobs. So, look, there, there, you know, if there's a need for employment from a foreign workforce, then Congress needs to fix it, create a system where they can come in legally, as long as they can justify there's no American that will be displaced and no American here that needs a job, and bring them in the legal way as some sort of visa. But do not tell ICE to turn a blind eye. Don't keep, keep kicking uh, E-Verify to the side so you don't want it, because if we continue bringing illegal aliens to exporting for labor, that means they got to pay a cartel. That means cartels are making money. That means 31% of women are being raped. That means people are dying. I mean, we've got to support legal immigration. And the president's plan, the White House plan, that put out almost a year ago, Congress hadn't even talked about, I talked about it in my book. I was a part of that uh, uh, committee that, that went over that plan, and I think it's a great plan. So I talk about that in the book, how we fix the system. So, you know, it's just, it isn't rocket scientists, uh, rocket science. I've done it for 34 years. I've been in board patrol. I've been a special agent investigative organization. I know how they operate, and I know how to stop them. I know how to fix it. So it just, it, this book, I'm, it, it, my attempt to educate American people, I'm hoping when they read the book, they'll call their congressman and the senator and hold them accountable to fix the system because it can be fixed. They just got to close the loopholes. Yeah, like I said my last year, they work for us. That's right. And you've got to have Congress members who, are, who have some guts, who are willing to listen to the people. And hopefully the people will be inspired by this book. Former ICE Director Tom Holman. The book is called Defend the Border and Save Lives. It is out now. Look for it on Amazon or wherever it is that you buy your books. And uh, Tom Holman, thank you so much for shining a spotlight on this. Thank you for 34 years of service that continues now as a private citizen in very important ways like this. Thank you, sir. All right. Thank you. Tom Homan joining us on AM 1420, The Answer. Let's get out so we can come back in. Don't forget, I'm looking for your questions for my next guest, who's coming up at 1010. It's the Deputy Director, or excuse me, Secretary, Deputy Secretary of the Department of Health and Human Services in the Trump administration. Eric Hargan is going to join us to talk about the federal response to COVID-19. I want to know what questions you have for HHS and the Trump administration on this issue. Send them to me as messages on Facebook or Twitter. Or, of course, you can call me next segment, 216-901-0945. Great conversation with Tom Holman, the former ICE director. Really appreciated that. Don't forget, coming up at about 1010, I I will have a conversation with Eric Hargan, who is uh, the Deputy Secretary of the Health and Human Services Department of the uh, Trump Administration. That's right. HHS on the scene. Going to talk to us about the federal response to the disease, what goes into the decisions that are being made, what we can look for in the future, and how he sees things now with respect to the economy. 701,000 people um, lost their jobs in the month of March. And that, that, that number, by the way, just released this morning, is probably a fraction of what the real number is. Uh, let's go to the phones. Two one six nine zero one zero nine four five. This is uh, Mark in Fairview Park. Hi, Mark. Go ahead. 
Good morning, Bob. Hey, I'm going to move real fast and hang up and see what your answer is. But, uh, you know, where's the story about the president in the last two, three days uh, calling the virus a hoax coming from? Uh, I was just wondering what you know about this. And I have a few of these uh, Trump derangement people who, uh, you know, they love to attack me on these different things. But I got one friend who's pretty much void of any political knowledge, but he calls and uh, telling me the same thing and all the stuff against Trump. You know, I happen to, I said, wait, what have you been listening to? You know, and, you know. Uh, morning, Joe. Morning, Joe. But yeah. let me hang up and see what you have to say. Thank you. All right. Yeah. Well, your your friends are stupid. Is the bottom line. You need better friends. Thanks for the call. Um, here's the deal. Uh, morning, Joe. Uh, sleep. Morning, Joe and Sleepy Joe. How about that? Two uh, two opposites, but doing the same thing. Morning, Joe. Joe Scarborough and Sleepy Joe Biden are among those who continue to advance, and also Don Lemon and every other uh, leftist hack that's on me in media right now. They continue to spread the very easily debunked uh, rumor that Donald Trump. Called called the coronavirus a hoax, that it wasn't real at the very beginning. Even after they did uh, try to to do such a thing, now talking about the media at large in general, about a month, maybe five weeks ago, uh, they had to retract and did. And acknowledge, no, Donald Trump did not call the coronavirus a hoax. Donald Trump, early on in this thing, called the media's coverage of his response to it a hoax. They were trying to take him down and to try to say that this was his responsibility and his fault and so on and so forth. Another attack on Trump that Trump said it's just like the Russia hoax. It was just like the impeachment hoax. Now it's another hoax, meaning their attacks on me are fraudulent. It's a hoax to attack me in this way. That's all he said. He did not say the virus was a hoax. And it was debunked easily and quickly. Many media outlets did indeed apologize or at least retract and say, okay, he did not say that it was a hoax. He was talking about the way he was being treated over it. But now a little bit of time goes by. People forget about that, and they revive it. The Sleepy Joes, the Morning Joes, and then, like I said, all of the CNN uh, CNN types and MSNBC types, they continue to advance the already debunked notion that Trump called it a hoax. So bottom line is your friends are dumb. Get better friends. You won't have these problems. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.